I went back and I watched old SCG coverage recently. And I went back to, I think it was like late 2017. And this was when they had bingo cards. Oh, like Hell they had yeah. Cedric and Patrick with bingo cards. <laughs> yeah. Good time. Really enjoyed them just like frantically like barracking for like random things. Like being like, you know, come on, go go get the dried arbor. It doesn't really make sense here, but go get the dried arbor so I get the stamp mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And also the amount of like how much it's just shaped by like who they put mm-hmm. on coverage. Like someone, the one I was watching, one of the people had like, I think it was Patrick had someone attacks with a sliver. <laughs> and then they put like one of the Bowman brothers on with his slivers deck in modern in round two. And he was like, sick. Well, that's a free space. Free space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And like oh, they had the sick. burn, they had like burn versus slivers in round two. And Patrick got like five squares in one match. Yes. Because yes. it was like, uh, it was just like <laughs> Cedric sitting there being like, how do I, well, this seems unfair. <laughs> So I think we should definitely do bingo cards if we ever do coverage of a faction event. Most definitely. A- any, like, external competition I'm so keen for. <laughs> yeah, anything that just gets you more invested in, like, things other than who's actually winning is great. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I always used to enjoy, for Pro Tours, I used to do, like, fantasy Pro Tour. Do you guys, did you do this? Yeah. So you would, like pick cards and you had to pick like one card of each color and a multicolor card and a land oh. and you got points based on how many copies were in the top eight of the pro tour i did it with players so i did it a little bit different no i don't don't recall that but okay there was also ones with players yeah yeah there was also that there were a couple of things through uh arena i think we got to pick your, your hero so to speak and they gave you stuff in game mm, yep pretty cool yeah that's cool too that was for worlds yeah. i think that was they definitely did for the year pv one that's all i remember because i remember picking pv <laughs> Welcome to the Faction Podcast for this week. Uh, this week we have Nath back on. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> Hi. Perfect. Nath's here. Trent's here. Yep, I'm here on behalf of Nathan. Smart. <laughs> Mike's also here. Good day. I realise I shouldn't have called on Nath first because he didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, I didn't know the thing. It's ba- baptism by fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We throw you in the deep end and see whether you can swim. Uh, we all know that Nathan can't swim. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a poor choice there. I can swim. I've just got. I've only got three laps in here, right? Swanny, I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> Nathan's on though because he's been playing a lot of Pioneer recently. He was also gracious enough to have us around for a Capenna draft over the weekend. Capenna pre-release has just happened, so that is out next weekend. I feel like we're in a bit of a weird lull spot where we did our pre-release draft. And now I can't draft anywhere else. So, like, I know Trent's just been doing, like, Kamigawa drafts. I feel like Trent might have been doing that anyway, but that's fine. <laughs> True. I really love the fact that they've done this. They, they've made in-store magic more relevant. Oh, you know, I, I would have no real reason, apart from obviously catching up with my friends, to, um, you know, even think about going on a pre-release. But um, I did come very close, you know, much closer than I've come in a couple of years. <laughs> Still didn't. So, still didn't, but um, much, much closer. I, I think that's super healthy for the game, so I think that's a really good decision they made, and I, I don't know how intuitive it was either. So, you know, sometimes they get it right. 
I really like it. I really like pushing it back because it did feel weird that by pre-release weekend I've been drafting for like 48 <laughs> hours. But now I think this next week coming up is going to be an odd forced pause where like I got a little bit of a taste on Friday night and now I have to wait another week before I can draft. So I kind of wish drafting online started like the Monday or Tuesday after pre-release weekend. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yep. Yeah. So we did do that draft. I know... Nathan and I drafted, and Trent, you were there and sort of watched the draft and some of the games. Mm-hmm. Do we have any overall impressions of the format to begin with? Super complex. Um, a lot of the cards, it's really rough going into a draft normally uh, without having read many of the cards, but this one just seemed to punish that even further. Um, I think my first pack was just, I picked the best three colours out of my first two picks and just focused on that so that I didn't have to wait, make the whole table read a whole bunch of cards. But yeah, high complexity. Um, the cards are really cool. I had a really fun time. Um, but, you know, time will tell, I guess. Definitely was a slower draft, like the pace of the actual draft section. And I know there were some other people who did the same thing as you. And a Braden opened a Naya... I don't know what the new faction names are, but a Naya card. Mm. Naya Rare and took it and then just stuck in those three colours. I came in planning to draft five colour and just did that from the outset and didn't really pay attention to signals at all either. So definitely some complexity there. As as there like there's always complexity in every draft format, but this felt like every card was so wordy. And one of the things I found actually was I had to reread the Tri Lands so much. Mm-hmm. The the new they're like evolving wilds, but they do it on ETB and you gain life and they're three colour. So they're on each of the shards. So there's one that's forest plains mountain and there's one that's island swamp mountain and so on i feel like river tears what river tears triome or river tears evolving world's just never gonna stick you're always gonna have to fucking read those cards yeah absolutely and it looks from a perspective from i wasn't drafting i was watching and from a from a non-drafting perspective is just i had no idea what was going on in any of the packs yeah just wild just completely and utterly wild it does seem like pretty crazy design choice to have those cards because normally your lands have color indication on them right because whether they have the mana symbols or uh you know heavily implied in the artwork or just even in the little that little border around the frame it'll usually have like what colors it it links to yeah but of course these lands are technically like not related to any color because they only fetch something up right and so you can't even that there's no like quick visual cue that can just remind your brain and so like no uh it's just another level of thought that you have to put into it yeah i i don't know exactly what the um terminology is for it but it's these little like 0.01 percenters where it just requires like a tiny little bit of your brain to be active to like fully comprehend what's going on to to grok the card and i i wasn't at this draft i didn't play it my only exposure to the set has been seeing the spoilers as they come out and one thing that I noticed, and I I definitely noticed this somewhat with uh, Neon Dynasty, but I reckon tenfold more so with this set, is that I just couldn't even, like, get through half the cards. I would start reading a common and just be like, I, I, I can't remember what the first sentence was already. I'm just done. And I just, like, didn't really 
catch on a lot with it. And I think it's just because so many of the cards have these little tiny things and there'll be like two or three on each card. And so by the when you look at a pack, all of these 0.01 percenters adds up to like 20% of your brain power just to like see what <laughs> what is going on in front of you, let alone actually playing the game. Like, <laughs> you know, when you have to think about de- yeah. decisions in the actual game. Oh man, it's certainly way too much for me. Yeah, and I have to say, I had a five-color deck, so I had three or four different of, like, Trilands in my deck. I had five or six total, I think. And I had to read the full text every single time. And it's just, like, a paragraph five lines long. There's no, like, you can't even scan through and look for a mana symbol or whatever. You actually have to go and read Mountain Forest Plains. And I don't know about the rest of you, but there isn't there is an extra step there for me to connect mountain to red because if you ever look at a mountain or a red land you're not actually reading the name and being like oh it's a mountain therefore it produces red mana you're looking for as Swanny said an indicator or something like that so i it actually took a lot of brain power for me to be like which one is this also the art on all of them is similar i've got them up on scryfall at the moment they are like a waterfall thing some sort of plaza with a festival a theater a storefront and a bridge they're all at night. They're all compositionally lighter in the middle with dark around the outsides. So they all look similar. And as Mike said, there's no indicator on them. It's actually really interesting to me that that matters so much. I feel like layouts and frame design and that kind of thing goes unnoticed so much of the time because it's not really something, if it's done well, that you consciously notice. And then when something like this happens and it's done subpar, it's, it stands out and you yeah. really notice it. There is exactly one of them that the artist has taken the cue and put it all the way to the nth degree, which is Broker's Hideout. And uh, I, I know that uh, talking about art on a podcast isn't the most uh, efficient way of uh, <laughs> conveying information. But if you imagine this art for the card is very, it's like a cityscape and it's very clearly divided into three colors and you can see that there is a big shiny blue like lit up section in the middle and then it's got like a dark green sort of section on the left and then like a bright there's a tree even yeah and and a bright kind of white well it's the golden yellow that they use for planes everywhere and magic but it's like it's like if you squint the art for this card is just a flag and it's like (laughs) okay that is what needs to happen for all of those to be able to not have to read the text box every single time but they just completely missed on it the naya one if you squint is also naya colored it's like yellow and red lights and green trees the maestro's one is kind of like it's a theater with a red curtain and a yellow light and blue uh lighting which makes it looks like jeskai instead of uh what is this Grixis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with those two, though, everything's kind of, like, interspersed. It's like the artist has used the colour palette, but they haven't, like, blocked it out super clearly. And so... It's not flag enough. Yeah, you can't just, at a glance, be like, those are the colours, here we go. The The comparison, actually, to make is to the cycle of commons we talked about last week, where you can pay two and put them on land, and it basically makes the land into a tri-land. Because those things are really simple. Because you just look at the mana cost in the top right of the card, and those are the colours that the land makes. 
So those at least have that indicator. Uh, magic pro tip of the day, you can do that at instant speed. And I found that out after Ian did it to me. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to say that first match against Nath, we played in round one. That first game was a joy for me and very frustrating for Nath, I'm sure, who missed his third color and had to play against me going like... It was a joy for me to watch. Oh, I think I went like the turn three, the angel that like cantrips on ETB, turn four, the like fiend hunter, banisher priest band card that exiles their creature and also you can exile your creature. So I like exiled my cycling guy and then the next turn played a rare that is fiend it's like a vehicle and it's fiend hunter but you can switch it whenever it attacks so i like flick it out my banisher priest bought back the cycling guy that's now a four three flyer and draws a card put yeah it was just it was ridiculous ian was playing vintage and i was playing with myself (laughs) (laughs) no you weren't even doing that (laughs) with your suspicious bookcase no that card's sick i understand so overall though i enjoyed playing with new magic cards our format is incredibly complex and specifically I feel like I almost need to play a bunch of pre-con decks or like sealed decks like to just get to know the cards a little bit more because I have no idea how to draft at the moment. Like I don't know what any of the decks are meant to look like so it's really hard to draft. Yeah, I think sealed would have been a great way to start this format. Yeah, you, only have, you only have 40 cards to read. <laughs> I pointed that out when everyone was drafting and looking at their packs and I was like, that's kind of why they start with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but that's right. This time next week, it'll be what, like 48, 72 hours after it comes out in Arena. So I'll have 15 drafts done or something stupid like that. Ugh, arena. No, sir. <laughs> well, I don't want to lose too much money in the first weekend, you know? Magic Online's for once I know the <laughs> format. Mm, okay. Okay. More to the point, I can draft on my phone on the way to work. That's the real thing. That's convenient. <laughs> Although, based on the speed of these games, I will not be able to play matches on the way to work. Yeah, that's true. Good luck with that. I think in paper, like, all three rounds went over, well over an hour. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I left halfway through round two, and that was at 10.30. We started drafting at 7.30, and I didn't, we didn't finish till, like, midnight. Far out. Yeah, right. And a lot of that was just reading. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. But overall, exciting to have a new set. Exciting to have new cards to look at. I know, uh, I know, Mike and Trent. You don't love the flavor of it, but I enjoy it, and I love especially the art deco artwork, and I love actually the alternate frames. They're really cool. Yeah, everything that has really gone ham on the art deco um, type thing, I actually really quite like. All the sets now have these, uh, you know, on theme basics. And this set has mm-hmm. like two versions of full art basics for each land. And one of them is just, uh, you know, like a art piece or whatever. But the other one is like full on deco style. And I really, really like those pieces of art, uh, particularly the the mountain and the plains. Uh, I'm super into that. I guess it's more just the uh, when, yeah, when the flavor of it isn't like super leaning in, it's kind of kind of a bit middle of the road i think yeah for sure the other thing that happened this week and in fact happened earlier today as with every set release on pre-release weekend we had a points update for highlander this time this might be a little bit of a sad uh, a section of mourning for two of us on the podcast but luris plus one point to two and mind twist minus one down to one and a couple watchlist changes as well 
Mike, do you want to start as, as the resident Luris gamer <laughs> on this podcast? What are your thoughts? Uh, we'll start it here now. Hashtag free Luris. Kitty cat did nothing <laughs> wrong. Uh, <laughs> yet, uh, I, I wasn't too surprised to see Luris go up one. Uh, as far as the Discord and kind of Facebook communities uh, with the general chatter, Luris was really the only card that people ever really talked about between now and the last uh, points updates. And I actually think uh, that's a really good sign for the format. Um, for the past couple of years since you know 2019 magic happened uh it didn't matter what was getting pointed people were flaring up in all sorts of conversation uh over the community just talking about lots of stuff they were unhappy with but the fact that this time it was just sort of like fairly quiet and if anyone said anything it was just that they wanted luris to go up one pretty good indicator that the format's in a really good spot which i i definitely do agree is is the case um look it's one of those ones where i think it's fair enough the card is extremely powerful and um you know in in a vacuum obviously it can as they said on the um as part of their explainer uh that it's sort of tends to encourage people uh, because it's so good to play it, which means they can only play the one and two drop cards, which diminishes the size of the format somewhat because it cuts people out from playing a lot of cards. Uh, I I can agree with that reasoning, but by the same token, I don't really think that it was like all that ubiquitous. Uh, Obviously, it breach put up a, a lot of finishes, um, which uh, you Ian yourself are probably partly uh, <laughs> to, to blame for that. Um, but uh, apart from that, it was really just a couple of finishes of four color mid range, one finish of an Esper control, and one finish of a white weenie sort of strategy. And outside of that, it was kind of. Yeah, not not really as prevalent as other cards have been when they've been pointed. So, um, yeah, uh, it's one of those ones where I don't necessarily agree with it all the way down the line, but I can fully see the arguments that that people make for it. There was definitely a like two or three week period there where Brendan and I both top aided multiple events with Breach and you also top aided a couple of events and we joked about hmm, maybe Lurus is going to get a point. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> definitely that was the case. But that kind of tapered off after a while. It did because I stopped playing events. <laughs> and you started having the worst run of bad luck any of us have ever seen. Yeah, it's still going too. There were like several tournaments in a row where you failed to win a match. As, as far as non... Uh, kitchen table-esque games go i think i'm four and 26 at the moment oh my god (laughs) it's just absurd and coming off as well a pretty successful period the turnaround is stark i was gonna say uh i I think maybe the points committee is doing my favor making him move away from the the cat if he's a four and 26 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the the four and twenty six hasn't all been with uh, my Luris deck, but even still, <laughs> I, th- I think it's a, at a point where it's like a self uh, fulfilling cycle now. And 
I'm 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 just on the train. There's no getting off Express Station all the way <laughs> all the way down to the bottom. I think Mike basically summed up my thoughts on Luris as well. It is probably still good at two points and certainly playable. I would be unsurprised if it potentially gets an extra point over the next couple years, largely because of Breach. I think either it or Breach will get another point. It's just so, so good in Breach as a way to recur not only your fair threats, but also Breach itself. So we'll see. But this second point is not all that surprising to me. Yeah, and... Particularly seeing that um, Lutri also went up to two last time, where, you know, on, on power level, I thought that card was barely even playable at one, like maybe at a uh, as a throwaway point. Uh, so, some people disagreed, but if that card was going to be two because people hate companions that much, then Luris, I guess it should be as well. Trent, Nath, did either of you have any thoughts on Luris? No. <laughs> no. Short and sweet. <laughs> I'm glad it's gone. Well, not gone, but I'm glad it's pointed just because it incentivizes some poor play patterns in some regards, but and incentivized like putting a, a huge glot of the same cards in every deck. Like you want to play a Lura Shell, you just have you know here's like your 15 best creatures and X amount of spells, and then you only have like a certain amount of room to breathe. Whether you put like a combo in that deck, perfect is is uh, perfect examples like um, Ian's breach deck, or you just try and exploit by having your know, bigger spells like Treasure Cruise and Dictor Time. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not going to miss it. Definitely not going to miss it. And then the other pointing that I mentioned was Mind Twist down a point to one point. Mike, I know you were very excited about this. Yeah, I mean, for a while I was uh, strongly advocating for Mind Twist to go down, uh, and some people uh, butted heads there, and so I thought, ah, look, I'll show them that it's not really a two-pointer card. I built a, a deck, um, brought it to a Wednesday night weekly at Maze, and I went 3-1 over the night, but every single time I put Mind Twist on, onto the stack i won that game (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) like it the card is ferociously brutal uh i genuinely do think that it's good at two points basically doesn't see any play at two points but i think that's actually a really good thing because the card uh it's one of those miserable ones. It's like True Name Nemesis where, like, yeah, maybe not quite playable, but that's actually just, like, a really good thing, <laughs> I should say there. However, that being said, I do really... Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm definitely a savoury person. I like salt a lot more than sugar. And uh, seeing and tasting their tears... Uh, from my opponents when I remove their hand from the game and then take another, like, seven turns to kill them. Mm, that's that's beautiful, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, expect me to become a full-time mind-twist wizard uh, over the next few months. Hell yeah. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> my first Highland deck had mind-twist in it. I'm uh, happy to go crack out my, uh, my whiteboard copy. All hate cards have to be whiteboard. That's my personal role. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I have a whiteboard blood moon that I enjoy a lot.
<laughs> so that's our changes. I personally haven't played that much Highlander recently, but it'll be interesting. And one of the things they pointed out is that because these are tied to set releases, the next points change isn't till I think it's mid-September. So we've got a long time. The other thing we should touch on is there's been some surveys out and discussion around accessibility in Highlander, and they have announced an announcement in late May, I believe it's the 22nd of May, to announce some measures to address that and increase the accessibility, which I think we all agree is a good thing. More accessibility is a good thing for this format. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all for it. Uh, obviously, there's got to be a bar towards... I guess if you, you know, like um, CanCon or whatever, where they say, you know, that's the Highlander Nationals or whatever, you know, met, met, like that's as close to sanctioned play you can get for a Highlander tournament. So I think that, you know, that's kind of a sacred cow that you can't touch. But anything for like in-game, uh, in-store play, like just absolutely just let people play with their mocks and, and their, you know, their academies and their workshops. I just, yeah, it's so stupid to have that bar now like everybody wants to come back and play magic so just remove as many constraints as you can and yeah let people flourish yeah i i do think though that the entire point behind the announcement that they're going to make is more about figuring out how to keep the sanctionability of stuff without people being forced to spend money on on those kind of cards I think the, a lot of the conversation has been about how we can find a way to um, make it easier for people to join in uh, and play sanctioned events without having to spend big on the big ticket items. There's been a lot of uh, different you know, ideas raised and stuff like that. But as far as proxies go, the the committee doesn't actually have any control over that the the committee's official stance is like hell yeah put on proxy events everyone should encourage that but yeah at the end of the day they only have the committee only has control over the rules of the format and you can't say the rule of the format is proxies allowed because that doesn't apply in a lot of situations so what they can do is a whole series of things and and we will find out on may the 22nd but uh they can do some stuff that will helpfully hopefully make it easier for um newer and uh you know existing players that don't have vintage cards in their collection to join in without losing out on the power of having those reserve list cards yeah for sure i think if you were just to blanket say like for the stores that were playing highlander you go go to them and say yeah look we can't obviously sanction this but we would really appreciate it if this is something that was a part of the the system that you had for Highlander, which was proxies, because I know that Maze does proxies. Uh, it used to, but they got they got slapped on the wrist by big wizards, so they don't anymore. Oh, but Highlander's not a Highlander's not a Watsy format. Uh yeah. How does that work? I th- look, uh, I don't have all of the information, but as far as I know, uh, stores need to hit quotas of having sanctioned events and stuff that determines the allocation for their stock. And so... Sure, and they were using that when they shouldn't have been? Well, no, they were just... Uh, I mean, because you, you can sanction any event that only uses official Wizards cards. 
there's nothing illegal yep. about doing that. And so right. when where they they used to be running a proxy event and for some I, I I don't I don't think they were sanctioning that, but I'm I'm not sure. But someone caught wind and apparently the uh there's someone in Watsi Australia that just is hell bent on they're not being proxies for some reason, and so uh, they they got slapped down for that. And there are other proxy events being run, but every store that runs them is super hush hush, and they don't want any like information about it getting out, just in case they get slapped down as well. So um, yeah, yeah finding a solution that doesn't involve having to use proxies is ideal but that being said hell yeah people should be putting on more proxy events because like it shouldn't you know everyone should be able to play makes sense to me yeah absolutely it's an interesting challenge and possibly one of the biggest challenges really for the format is accessibility so keen to see what they come up with and then the last format played so much magic this week it's been a busy week (laughs) So, apologies if you came here for nonsense and then we just talked about magic and you're disappointed about that. Uh, you'll get some. Do nonsense next week. Always more nonsense. We've been playing a lot of Pioneer. I know, Nath, you've been playing... You played a couple challenges, in fact. How did those go? And what did you play? I reckon I've played 100 games of Pioneer in the last fortnight and I was just having to think about that over the last hour and it really explains why I'm so tired in the brain. Um, the, the two challenges are really fun. Uh, it's actually been really nice to want to get out of bed early and play these challenges they're not on an awful time schedule for australians um but fundamentally there's seven round tournaments i registered red black for the first one and, and lost a, a win in for top 16 and then i came 11th uh on the sunday just gone playing mono green so it's, it's been really sweet yeah those are at 7 a.m on sunday so as you said very doable from australia yeah yeah absolutely and I think you've had a couple of people on Discord for a lot of them, right? Hanging out, watching games, and giving you something to watch in between rounds. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, slightly convenient, I guess, um, with Pat Pack being uh, being sick and at home. He's been uh, he's been on the Discord quite regularly, but um, I think uh, as a team, we've just been on Discord, just getting around limited and getting around um, around Pioneer. So it seems like every night, you know, at least three of us are on, and it's been it's been really great from that aspect, you know. And Trent, you've been testing, I think, mostly John Sack, right? Yeah. Yep. It it doesn't work. I love it. I really do. <laughs> it's great to play, but it doesn't work in today's climate. <laughs> yep. Too many cards on the dance floor. Yeah, it's just that the format is just hyper geared towards the hate that the thing that you're trying to do. You're basically a full turn cycle, if not one and a half too slow against uh or definitely against lotus field um definitely against mono green like you can you can beat up some of the decks that have more linear play patterns like i feel like um winota is a pretty good matchup for john sack because you go over the top of them pretty easily once you just disrupt their one and done or two and done um you know like their winota trigger or their work big winota turn uh, but yeah, it like I said, it's a lot of fun, but it's just not where I would like to be. If you if if blue red was to become the best deck, like say for instance, there's a you know B and R and they shake it up or whatever, and blue red gets untouched, then I'd be pretty 
pretty down to pick up John Sec. I think that Blue Red Phoenix and Blue Red Control, the way that they're built currently, are pretty weak to the John Sec variants, like especially White, Red, Black, and John Sack. But yeah, as it stands, if you're looking to have fun, by all means, like eat your heart out. But if you're looking to win games of Magic or matches of Magic, yeah, just put Elvish Mystics and Olga Trolls and Nykthos in your deck. Olga Troll slaps, confirmed. It's just nothing. Nothing looks nearly as powerful, with the exception of like a Boreal Grazer Lotus Field turns on the play. They're the only two really cracked-looking openers or, or, or decks, in my opinion. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think Mono Green and its dominance has sort of pushed the format to a place where it's a bit of an arms race of just trying to do these increasingly fast and powerful linear things where a week and a half two weeks ago we had red black and we had blue red and we had blue white as the the big decks monogreen has sort of shifted a lot of the format around it has it been my my experience as well i know Nathan, you've actually played a lot of monogreen what has the deck felt like are there any weaknesses what do you think its position in the format is like the the deck's insane you just on turn three and for regularly, you just cue the clown music and you just, I don't know, you tap your Nykthos four times and you cast, like, probably, you know, 40 mana worth of spells or, you know, you put a Polychronos in a play and blow a board up or, you you know, you have a 40-40 layer of the Hydra. It's just, it's honestly obscene. Um, the deck's really good. Uh, it can, I guess, be, be a bit affected by, by some Thought Seizers, although I think the Thought Seize decks are normally... You know, good matchups, um, and I think blue red can be really tough if they, um, you know, because you're relying on elf to have a good turn, have a good turn three or four. If they kill your elf and then put a thing in the ice and the play, it can be really tough. They're, they're probably the two two hardest matchups uh, aside from obviously playing the mirror, which is, <laughs> is miserable, and I, I don't wish that on anyone. I watched you play a mirror just before we started recording, and it looked like the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, just absurd board stalls. And I think you eventually won by finding a Pelucranos and activating it for X equals 24 to wipe their board. Mm, that was pretty sweet, though. <laughs> that was sweet, but up until you found the Pelucranos, it was looking like a horrific board stall that with no end in sight. Absolutely. No, it was bad. I was losing. Then I found the Pelucranos first. So, you know, two on the league, two mirrors in the bag. Easy game. Yeah, nice. Very nice. <laughs> it has certainly felt a lot more prevalent. That and I've played a lot of Winota recently as well, which I think is a reaction to Monogreen, where they're just like, well, if no one's going to interact with me, I'm going to put Winota in play on turn three and try and kill you and see if that beats your turn three Khan or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't beat the, the turn three Khan if you've got five mana, though, because you just put a cage in play. I, I haven't found that that's a bad matchup unless, they, um, unless they're on the play and they turn three. Uh, Winota with an attacking creature and they hit because if they miss they just lose that's what it's looked like yeah because they don't interact with you either no they don't so you just get to go like dork like acceleration acceleration and then as you said before just tap Nykthos for a million mana and put a bunch of shit into play like you said can't get can't get cage they don't have a main deck answer for that if they're sideboarding to answer that then they're just fundamentally slowing themselves down yeah, I mean, my, my deck's main game plan is put a 5-6 in a play, and that's kind of better than a lot of what they're doing. So they either win really, really quickly, or they don't win at all, because, you know, you, you put two Cavaliers in a play, and if one of your Cavaliers dies, that's normally a good thing for you. So you just double block all their stuff. Cheesy. So the big question then, Nath, is what has been beating Mono Green? Um, Blue Red's always been tough. Uh, I think it's probably worth putting more cards in your sideboard to hate that. Um, 
That's the only really thing that's coming to my mind. Mono Blue Spirits look tough. Oh, Mono Blue Spirits, actually. Yeah, there, there were a couple of games I played over the last couple of days where I could have just, you know, put all my cards face down and just played them at random and uh, it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> um, they, yeah, if they, if they get off to a, a quick start with a, a Curious Obsession and, and leading Manor up with their counter spells, you have to have so much mana to beat those counter spells. And normally two counter spells make sure that you don't do that before you die. So Mono Blue is actually harder than Blue Red. I think you've got more agency against Blue Red, but they're definitely the two, two worst matchups. You know, mono reds are by uh, black red. They can beat you if they um, if they sideboard and draw correctly, but nine times out of ten, you just go over the top of everything they're doing. Um, the sack decks, um, they don't work. Sack decks, the lotus field decks, Winoda. You just put a Khan into play, uh, and if you do that with uh, with five mana on turn three, you normally don't lose to any of those decks. Um, yeah, Khan seems to be the biggest thing that's just knocking out a whole bunch of. Bad matchups. I, th- I think would be bad matchups if you if you didn't have access to Khan. You know, I don't think you could beat um, Lotus Field with Monogreen if you didn't have access to Khan into the double hate piece because you just minus it twice. Yeah, I feel like the the things from watching you play and from playing against it a little bit, the elements that to me make Monogreen so good are as you touched on Khan makes gives you such a good plan against all of the other combo decks. So like Lotus Field would be potentially tough otherwise. The threats all being two-for-ones means you don't lose the spot removal. So, Allgrowth Troll obviously comes back as Mana Ramp and then another 4-4. Cavalier puts a land in play and then also puts a sort of card, reclaims the card back on top of your library when it dies. All the Planeswalkers are obviously two-for-ones. And Storm the Festival is a two-for-one that often finds you more two-for-ones. So, spot removal doesn't work and like one-for-one removal doesn't work unless you close the game really fast after that. And then you can't go over the top of Monogreen because of Nykthos shenanigans, basically, and untapping Nykthos. And, I mean, there is even an infinite combo now with Khan. And, <laughs> you know, so, like, you can't go over the top of it. You can't beat them with one-for-one removal and disruption. And it's really hard to play a combo deck against them because your combo deck has to be able to beat Khan on turn three often. And it's just, like, trying to find the the gap to shoot to beat that it looks like so far like spirits and blue red are the answer because they can interact up the curve and then close games especially in the case of spirits they close really fast but like your interaction has to be pretty specific it basically has to be counter spells right removal doesn't work discard only works until they top deck something so it kind of has to be counter spells that make them commit their mana and that's really hard removal removal on elf is super important um after that it doesn't matter well, so it isn't, it isn't, right? Like, it's good if you can then capitalize on the time it gives you. Yeah. But if you kill the elf and then your plan is to then hold up more removal, like a black-red deck or, like, I know my black-red sacrifice deck that I was playing had, like, tons of cheap removal. I could always kill the elf, but they'd still get to five mana and play a cavalier and I couldn't kill them before that. Yeah, yeah, sure. It doesn't work. I think the, the thing that's so good about this deck is just this synergy, you know, like cavalier helps you find Nykthos so you can do four, five mana spells in one turn. Nissa does the same thing. Um, Kiora does the same thing. Storm does the same thing. You know, it's all... they it kind of threads its own needle, so to speak. Um, there, there are so many turns on turn four where I've cast four Storm the Festivals, and that just doesn't sound correct for the rest of what Pioneer's trying to do. I think the only... The only card that looks bad in the deck is Kiora, but because, you, like you said, it's such a 
tight fit with everything else going on it actively makes that card look good yeah yeah, yeah. um and that's really that's a really scary thing because obviously when that card looks good it's got to be really fucking good because it's not up to anything good like it's not up to anything um fair right like untapped target permanent is not a line of text that incentivizes fair and good <laughs> healthy gameplay i have untapped my old go for a bunch to block that's fair i mean giving something vigilance is the baseline <laughs> that's great yeah but uh, yeah, the decks just the, the power level of the cards, like you know, Nissa, Khan, Kyora, Old Growth Troll, Polychronos, Storm, like all these cards are just so powerful. They're not, uh, they're just they stand alone on on rate and on power. And when you combine all of them, it's yeah, it's a lot. It's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially when then you also get to play what thirteen accessible cards out of the sideboard. One of them's an infinite combo. One of them's good against certain, you know. Um, certain decks you just get all this toolbox plus all the ridiculous things you're already doing in my brain it's just it's a lot yeah i'd be i'd be really surprised if this deck was able to be registered as it is when those uh pbdqs start um start firing uh, i think that there is some room for, for something to get pushed out of the format do you think that nykthos is the biggest offender uh, it absolutely is but it's also the promo for that rpdq season i mean they did that with smugglers coppler they did do that with smugglers copter that was a star city playmat though that's a little bit different nah look that was some of the best content I've ever seen in my life as well. <laughs> I more, Yeah, I more or less said it just for the, the hilarious griff that came with it. Oh, so good. Yeah, check that out if you haven't yeah, seen I'll it. I'll put that link in the show notes. I have that link saved as a link to that spot. There's a specific spot of what we're talking about. If you haven't seen this, go watch it. I'll put in the link. On Star Sea Games, they, they do their playmats that you get for, or they used to, <laughs> rip, rip Star City organized play, I guess. They used to, for their big opens, they would do playmats, and for each season, they'd have a new playmat, and there'd be one for each format, so there'd be one for modern, one for legacy, back when they used to do legacy, and there'd be one for standard. And shortly after Smuggler's Copter got banned, in fact, I think it was the week after. It was the same weekend. It was the same weekend. They announced their new playmats, and the playmat for standard was the art of Smuggler's Copter. And as they do during, you know, after game one, during sideboarding, they'll throw and they'll do some ads. And they, the ad they did was, hey, look, we have these playmats. And they got Patrick Sullivan up there to read it. And they're going, and, you know, you get these playmats. And they just bring up the art, this this playmat with Smuggler's Copter on it after it's just been banned. And Patrick just loses it. He just, he can't. It's it's such a good clip. Go watch it. Fantastic. Highlight moment. It's up there with, like, the Chupacabra rant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I tend to agree with Trent, though. I think Nykthos is the thing to me that lets the deck do truly insane things. Because it's exactly what you said, where, like, they'll cast four Storm Festivals on turn four. I've had my opponent just earlier today, actually, they, like, tapped out on turn four after some disruption, turn four or turn five, to cast Storm the Festival. And I thought, okay, cool, I'll put a couple creatures in play, and then I'll get my turn. And instead, they put a Nissa and a Nykthos in play, untapped their forest, tapped it for two mana, made nine mana off their Nykthos, uh, cast another storm the festival, put you know a cure in play, untapped again, flashback storm, and I was like, how? How did you know th- this was Nykthos? Like you're now playing Yu-Gi-Oh. You're just special summoning cards to the top of your deck. Cue the clown music, boys. <laughs> it was like my opponent tapped out to put a spell on the stack, and then they cast four more spells and spent like forty more mana <laughs> that turn. <laughs> so good, you know. So it does seem like the card that might get banned, but also it would be so funny because, as you say, that is the promo for the regional <laughs> championship. I think it needs to go, you know? Like, 
There's another Mono White Devotion deck as well that's playing Nyx Ox, and that's also, I think, one to challenge your top eight or something. It's just, it's an obscene card. I think it, yeah, it's, it's one of the best lands in the whole format. Um, it, it's either that or you ban Storm the Festival, and you probably just ban Storm the Festival so you don't look like you've got egg on your face if you're, uh, if you're Watsy with the Nyx Ox as the promos. I also think the thing that I didn't realize until I played against Mono Green more is just how much access Mono Green has to Nyctos because Storm and Cavalier both look five deep for it. And you've got a Colossus in the sideboard, so you can go find it with Khan, just for extra rubbins. Yeah, so very, very powerful deck. Has been powerful for about a week now, which is interesting because before that, I would say the format moved about once a week and the top deck changed and we're starting to get a bit of a cyclical metagame. And Monogreen's been at the top for a little while now, and nothing's really pushed it down. So I'll be interested to see the challenge results, actually, from this weekend. I haven't dived into them yet. I don't know if the lists are actually out yet. I know, Nath, you said one of your opponents, 7 the Swiss, playing Blue-Red. That's right, yep. So there are still other good decks, especially Blue-Red, it looks like. But certainly it has felt like Monogreen is kind of the... the it's It's the bar on the, like ride at the show that says you must be this tall to enter and it's you have to be able to compete with monogreen or you're going to have a bad time yeah 100 percent. fuck monogreen <laughs> um i played a lot of it and i still say the same thing um i i'm, I'm risking burning myself out i haven't played too much monogreen i think it's time you should pick up humans so i've built a human stack and been playing it finally got a trophy uh yesterday we we you're right <laughs> we we trent and i had a lot of fun I think, I personally, I was already a little bit burned out. I've been playing, like, Elves and Bant Flash and all these other brews that I'm not convinced are that good. Just desperately trying to find something to play against Mono Green. And Trent and I had a good time laughing at just putting hate bears in play and jamming creatures and just slamming. And it's, it's kind of fun to just play a proactive creature deck where it's like, I'm going to play my idiots out and we'll see if it's good enough. But I, I'm not going to, like, I don't have to deal with holding up mana and interacting. It's just kind of like... I do my thing, and it'll either be good enough or it won't. Just come to the dark side, and Come play some mono green. Mm. <laughs> the other format, I know, Swanee, you've been playing a bit of pauper? Yeah, I've been uh, starting to jump back on, on the wagon. Or is it that I've fallen off the wagon? I can never remember how that uh, <laughs> saying's supposed to go. Um, yeah, I was, I was playing a fair amount of pauper ages ago until I... Um, uh, started playing Highlander online a bit more and got a rental account. Part of the thing with Pauper was that the the decks were just so cheap that I was totally fine with just owning them and and trading them off or whatever when I wanted to play something else. But um, yeah. So I don't know. Everyone seems to uh, have shifted into playing lots of Pioneer at the moment, and. I don't really think that's quite the format for me. Um, I I really like highly interactive and like synergy kind of magic as opposed to um, just doing something brutal and hoping that it wins before your opponent does kind of thing. Um, So I've jumped back onto the pauper wagon and a deck that I had my eyes on uh, and and I played a couple of times um, before I took a break from it, was the Blue-White Familiars deck, which is essentially a, a combo deck where um, you're basically stalling out the game and drawing millions of cards with Mild Drifters and Ephemerates uh, until you can assemble uh, essentially a lock 
that is uh, Archaeomancer, which is just a 1-2 that when it enters the battlefield, you return an instant or sorcery to your hand. Uh, and that with Ghostly Flicker and Ephemerate is basically just looping those infinitely because uh, you can Ghostly Flicker uh, an island and the Archaeomancer to get the Ghostly Flicker back and the island comes in untapped. And if you've got some cost reducers there, then that just becomes free. And then you can, I don't know, whether it's a Stonehorn Dignitary lock where your opponent never gets to attack you again or uh milling them out with etbs that's basically how you win anyway uh i i love the deck it's super cool i love drawing cards it does a lot of that and i love dicking around doing basically nothing and spinning wheels and it does a lot of that too (laughs) but since i have played the format it's changed quite a lot neon uh, dynasty was bonkers for the format uh, it actually resulted in a couple of cards getting banned from the Affinity deck uh, because the uh, black draw two card is too, is too brutal. Deadly Dispute? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, so they ended up banning... Uh, uh, it's like the two mana Astrolabe. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but that and Atog as well. Poor little... Oh, Ica Wellspring? Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, so it's like Arkham's Astrolabe, but it just costs two mana instead of. And it taps for filters your mana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like prismatic or prism something. I... Prophetic prism. Prophetic prism. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, prophetic oh. prism. Sure. Sorry Sweet. about that. Yeah. So it, it it ended up getting those banned, and it's done like some super cool things for the mono blue fairies deck. That ninjutsu fairy that can. Uh, sorry, the ninjutsu guy that can come in for one off a fairy and uh, basically is like a cheaper version of the Ninja of the Deep Hours is off the chain. That thing is completely bonkers. That is sweet. Yeah. So I, I ran the old familiars through a couple of leagues uh, and carried on with my uh, zero and X streak that I've been having across multiple formats in... <laughs> <laughs> in magic at the moment uh but I'll, I'll probably keep giving it a few goes I, I need to kind of relearn the format and get much faster on moto with the deck uh timing out is a yeah. huge problem with <laughs> something like that but yeah the, the format is just so cool at the moment there are so many awesome strategies that do lots of various different things and currently there is a minimum of the like absolutely boring brutal stuff like the tron lock deck and boggles and all that stuff where you just kind of like oh why am i even here um everything seems super interactive and and fun at the moment so yeah get onto some pauper great format watching you yesterday and some people just throwing lightning bolts at you and i was just like what the hell yeah what are you doing yeah, but... <laughs> like come on man yep yeah. the format's fucking sweet and all you want to do is some people just love to point red spells at people's faces and uh, look i personally cannot for the life of me understand how that doesn't get really boring after about two minutes of it but i guess some people love it um some people love it mate and especially with with those lightning bolt decks like you could be playing the sick like uh 
red white deck that like bounces shit back to your hand and draws cards and stuff. Yeah, well, that is exactly what I was just about to say. I'm like, yeah, but like, look at the decks that you were <laughs> playing and playing against. They're all so much fun and interactive decision making. Like, the games are always semi close because, like you said, they're all really interactive. And then. <laughs> Chain lightning, lava spike. I get lightning bolt. I get lightning bolt. I get the first one. You know, I totally get that. I gotta say, I saw you play a familiar's mirror at one point, and that might have given Nath's mono green mirror a run for its money in terms of just like mind boggling. How does this game ever end? As soon as my opponent played their sunscape familiar, which is the the namesake of the deck, and it's essentially a creature that reduces the cost of your casting your blue spells so that you can start to go up as soon as my opponent put that onto the board i just had this moment where i was like wow i've never done this before and i have no idea what to do in this matchup there's not even any instinct like normally when you're playing a regular control deck or something like that or any deck you kind of pop into the mirror and you're like okay i know what of my stuff is good and I know what I have to protect and everything but this was just like wow I'm just purely casting spells at random and hoping (laughs) that things work out and it definitely was not good (laughs) but I'm keen to learn alright so we're going to play our favourite game what the hell is that card that's what I've decided this is called I I don't mind that name actually Nice. This is the game where uh, we we give you a card name, and we're going to see. Trent will definitely know this, and we'll see if anyone else knows it. <laughs> Varying expectations. I don't know how good you'll be at this, Nath. Well, I don't think we've played this game with you before. I thought he'd be. That's why I picked it. So I thought Nath might be okay at this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Trent has nominated Dragons of Tarkir. So first card is Vulturous Avon. Nath, you're first as the guest. Do you know this card? Well, um, not enough to, to say this certainly, but it's going to be a flyer. I can tell you that much. How about you, Swan? You got anything more than a flyer? Nope. I, I've <laughs> never played the set, so beyond playing with the fetch lands and, and whatnot, that's that's me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trent, what's what's this card do? Vulturous Avon. I don't think I know that card. Looking at it, it probably wasn't very good in Limited. Is it? I don't think it's the kind of thing I know. Is it like uh, the Black Delve three three flyer? No, that is. Um, that's also a bird. Oh God, what's that one called? Uh, Salt Eye Scavenger is what that card is called. That's a scavenger. Yeah. No, I don't have this it. This is three and a black, two three flyer with exploit. When it exploits a creature, you draw two and lose two life. It's a little bit of a um, little bit of sign in blood action. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't gonna get that. Yeah, solid. Solid, solid card. Alright, we'll, we'll we'll try again. I'll get you a second card, and we'll see if you can do any better on this, Nath. This is how we work out whether you get to come back on, you know? Smart. Mm-hmm. Next card is Bell Toll Dragon. Oh. Mm. That is the sound of someone who can almost remember it and not quiet. He's thinking. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a dragon. Yes, that's <laughs> creature type dragon. Tick. Do you want to give us a color? That's going to be red. That's incorrect. Uh, Swanee, there's no way you would know this one. It's not a fetch land. Well, I, I, would, I would guess, though, if it's bell toll, mm-hmm. the tolling of the bell is a uh, metaphor for death. So 
I would guess black. That is incorrect. I reckon you would have gotten dragon, though, so I think you get as many points as Nath. <laughs> See. Which is zero. I'll take it. Wasn't it called, what's it called? Bell Toll Dragon? Bell Toll Dragon, yeah. Okay, type dragon. Yeah, yeah we've given you that one. It is a type dragon. That's it's hilarious. Uh, I don't think I have this either. Bell Toll Dragon? This, uh... this one definitely wasn't good and limited. <sighs> I'm trying to... Is I, I think I've got Ugin's Construct in my head. It's like a, it's a big-ass artifact dragon that has a huge drawback. Uh, no. So it is... No. No, no. Zero points for any of you. It is a blue dragon. For five and a blue, it is a 3-3 three, three with flying and hexproof. And it has Megamorph. Remember this mechanic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Megamorph for Talk five blue blues. So you can pay it face down for three and then turn it up for five blue blue. And when you turn it up, it comes in. It flips up with a plus one, plus one counter on it. And when you turn it face up, it puts a plus one, plus one counter on each other dragon you control as well. Oh, yeah. I've looked at the artwork. I remember this. Yep. I don't think this card was any good. Right? No. Yeah. Fire. It's, uh... <sighs> Flying Hexproof 6 mana 3 3 is a lot for this format. Because there was a fair few flyers. Although the uncommon cycle was all 6 mana 3 3 or 4 4 dragons. I can't see this Mega I can't see this Megamorph being good. Like, it probably makes every deck just because it's a morph creature. But I wouldn't assume that it's a high pick. No, I don't think so. It's also interesting to me that the blue dragon was so bad. Like I can, like the green dragon, because they did multiple cycles of like common and uncommon dragons, and the green one's always terrible because green's not meant to get big flyers. But I'm kind of surprised the blue one was this bad. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't recall any of those dragons being great. I remember I was going to say noxious dragon, but that's that's not the dragons I'm talking about. It's no. a different one. That, that's. Fate Reforged? It won't be Khans because there's no dragons. Fate Reforged. Nah, it's Fate Reforged. You're right. Yeah, you're totally right. Yep. And that's part of... That was a cycle of like dragons with um, dyes abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that had um, Smother or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, the Black Home cast Smother. Next card. Nath, you should get this one. Oh, God. Draconic Roar. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, it's uh, three damage. If uh, two, One and a red. Uh, I think it's sorcery, but it could be instant. I'm going to guess instant. And if you reveal a dragon, it also does three damage to their face. Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. Three damage, instant speed, Tomb Balana to a creature, and then you can reveal a dragon as you cast it, in which case it also shoots their face. You would have cast a lot of this one, I imagine, or at least there was a lot of this in the format. Yeah, in, in the top eight. I got to trade it for a, uh, for a lightning bolt, basically. <laughs> what, how did you trade it for a lightning bolt? Oh, because I won the event. I was in in that faction event. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, f- I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot that it was in that format. I thought that's what you were setting me up for. <laughs> um, no, that card's uh, really good. I played a lot in the, in the limited format as well. And it was, yeah, very good. So, had a lot of love for that one. Did you play any of, like, the Mardu Dragons deck that played this? Uh, I believe so, but that's, that's, that's a couple of years ago now. It's kind of, kind of hard to put my finger on it all. I definitely did. Yeah. I was a Crackling Doom, Draconic Roar, Thunderbreak Regent, mm. Connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just good value cards with some incidental damage in that adds up and then you kill them with a Thunderbreak Regent. Yeah, I was a big fan of the old Hangerback Walker. Like, to the variation I played was you played, you did play Secret of the Way, but then we moved to Hangerback Walker because you could, and you played like the dragons or whatever we just spoke to, you could pump up your Hangerback Walker 
and then you could play, you played Colligan's command, so you could either like shock their dude and shatter your hangerback walker, untap dash Colligan, and all your, mm. um, all your thopters are two one flyers. Yep. So you could just kind of get them that way. It was a good way to combat Siege Rhino because those games were pretty grindy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That was a great format. Wow, that was a wow, sicko, just a sick format. Yeah, that was a great format. Yeah, that was a really good format around because we had the fetch lands and this was when we had fetch lands but before we had the Zendikar like typed jewels that just made everything into a four-color mess. Yeah. Yeah, this was before... Yeah, so this predates like Jeskai Black and Moistjund or however you want to say that shit. Moistjund. Like the... I know that's what people called it, Moistjund and Moist Abzan, but... <laughs> I apologize if that offends anybody. I know it's not a great acronym for a fucking deck, but that's what people called it. <laughs> Mardu Green. That's what it was. That's the deck, at least for Mardu Green. Yeah, sure. It's like Goblin Dark Dwellers. That's that's your moist jund. Pardon. <laughs> Hell yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you get a little bit of nonsense. Get a little bit. Yes, it's true. Get a little, little taste of nonsense. I reckon that might, that might wrap us up. Sounds good. I got one. That counts. <laughs> yeah. You got your conic raw, dude. You get no points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for coming on, Nath. Always good to have you on. The the faction invitational champion, reigning invitational champion. Yeah, boy. Although, not for much longer. Only one more month till... Or less... Yeah, about a month until the invitational now. So... Might not have much longer. Yeah, we're running out of time. I like to win it. It's, yeah, it's, it's my best shot at uh, holding on. <laughs> Get another year in, yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> You've had rather quite a quiet reign, you know. I can't live with any challenge. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good, man. <laughs> How'd your draft cut the champs? Yeah, good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Here's a, here's a question. Here's a question, Ian and Mike. What was Nathan's record coming out of the first draft? <laughs> mm, that'd be that'd be a big fat zero three, as I remember. Uh, I definitely wasn't paying attention to Nathan throughout the course of the tournament. I was barely paying attention to my own record. <laughs> <laughs> almost rallied back though. He almost rallied back to make top eight. Mike got ninth, right? Oh, at the at at champs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, yeah, so I, I misheard. I thought you were talking about the uh, Invitational that fr- from last time. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I got ninth. My, I was 1-2 uh, at the end of that draft thing. Ah, oh, so one more, one win more than I Nathan. think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just knocking you down <laughs> a few pegs, you know, just trying to take it away from you. Give you, a bit of, give you a bit of fire in the belly to come back in a month's time and shit on me after you win it again. <laughs> On that note, no, thank- no, okay, no, you want you got more shit to? <laughs> no, I was just, I, I was, I'm, tr- I'm trying to poke him, but he's just, <laughs> he's just smiling. He came eleventh in a challenge. I can't touch him. <laughs> what have you done lately, Trent? I don't know. One four to Jun League. <laughs> it's close. Almost as good. I don't know. I'm off it. I'm off it. I'm gonna go watch some Patrick Sullivan. Watch some fucking Smuggler's Copter. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Always good. Love watching that. On that note, so thank you, Nath, for coming on. Thank you, Mike and Trent, as well, for hanging out, telling us all about the multitudes of magic that we've played recently. It's been a grand old time. 
And thank you as well for listening. This has been the Fashion Podcast. Trent, sign us off. Bye, Kyle. Bye, Kyle.